Hey everyone, it's been a while. I'll explain probably in later podcasts all that has happened over the past two or three months, but it's been a lot. A lot of personal things and spiritual things and physical things. And um, as I warned you in my initial episode, my scattered brain sometimes just... uh, just has to do what it does, and so for a while, just wasn't really able to um, to find the time or, or or real energy for producing the kind of content I I set out to create with this project. But here we are, and um, a lot has transpired in the Uncensored Wizard community over the past few weeks, and that is actually one of the things I want to talk about or the thing I want to talk about in today's episode. Several of you have come forward and expressed uh, to me or in the group um, that you have recently or are planning to have the talk with family or people who are important in your life about the way that your faith has changed. And some of you have just kind of tipped your toes in those waters. Some of you have not even gotten close to the riverbank of those waters because of the anxiety, uh, real anxiety, and I get it, that comes from that. Um, And some of you are still hiding, very much hiding. You're, You're not even on the way to the riverbank of talking to family or or people close to you about where you are in your faith. Maybe you're not exactly sure where you are. Maybe there's a great deal of shame about where you are and what you're feeling and what you are now believing. But for whatever reason, it just feels um, completely unsafe to come out uh, of the shadows with that especially to those that you're close to. And I would say this is probably especially even more true for those who, like me, um, the people I would be coming out to were the people who raised me (laughs) in the beliefs that that I no longer believe. So, I just recently opened that can of worms with my family. I've kind of done it with most of my extended family at some point or another over the past three or four years. Um, But I didn't really talk to my mom about it. And and that's because of of the the fact that you know my mother raised me in the beliefs and my father too but my father passed away before i had that kind of conversation with him although my father and i we always were thinking outside the box together you know um but my dad was just very much the person who was going to at this at at the stage of life he was in you know when when he was raising me and I'm in that stage of life now, so I get it. Uh, Dad was ready to settle on some stuff. And <clears throat> he settled pretty hardly, or, or pretty firmly, I should say, um, in biblical inerrancy and biblical infallibility 
which are two beliefs that I do not uh, believe anymore. And that's another podcast, another ep- episode in in this podcast for another time. Um, so I I, I always felt like I would have had a, I would have had an easier time really kind of talking to dad, to dad about these things. But mom, it was hard because mom was raised in it. Her mom was raised in it, right? And so there was a system of beliefs that was very firmly in place. Um, it was very firmly in place by my mother and by her by her family. So that was a hard conversation to have, but I did have it. And so that's what I want to talk about in the podcast today um, is my experience of it. You know, I, I think there's a lot of material out there. Um a lot of a lot of material on grief is is relevant <clears throat> to this topic. A lot of material about assertiveness, a lot of material about the importance of uh of living an honest of living in an honest and forthright way, which which may be a component that um that you're missing as you as you navigate these waters because you have to be you have to act like you're someone you're not around your around your family or around certain um pieces of your world or of your community I don't really have much in the way of uh of classroom instruction if you will on how to navigate this but um but what i do have is my experience and so that's what i'm going to share before i really talk about my experience it's probably important that i talk about my personality a bit <laughs> because i think personality plays a very important role um in 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 how you might experience this and and how you might proceed in in actually having that conversation with a family member or the family so um it's important for you to know about me now now let me say this too this is a practice i i learned from from a professor when i was doing my master of divinity at gardner webb dr george uh, larry george he required us before we wrote any academic paper he required us to um to to describe our social location meaning that we were to kind of lay our biases on the table before we began the paper we didn't have to necessarily reference those biases anymore it was not he didn't put the burden on us to try to um, explain ourselves past that. I think he would have in in certain um, certain types of publications, but for the for classroom work, all we had to do uh, was spend some time at the beginning of the paper and explain who we were as a person socially, where were we located in society, and. You know, were we male, female? What was our faith tradition? What was our race, ethnicity? You know, all those kinds of things that locate us uh, socially. And 
have a profound effect on the way that we interpret the world around us. So those are our biases. That's why I want to talk about, about my personality because not everyone is the same. And, you know, when, when you hear me talk about myself, maybe it will resonate with you or, or maybe it won't. Either way, though, I think it's helpful in you kind of understanding my experience a little bit more on a, maybe on a more visceral level, which is probably the best way to, to understand this kind of thing anyway. Um, <clears throat> I have always thought of myself personality-wise, as an Enneagram 7. Now, I'm a, I'm a novice on Enneagram, but, but I pastored a church that was very, very much um, into it and used it in very helpful and healthy ways. And I have a circle of friends who um, are, are, are very well-versed in Enneagram. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I am not. I know enough... I know what I know about it is is what I know in my pursuit of discovering myself. So it's very limited to that scope. But I've always considered myself, since I discovered Enneagram, which is probably the best place for me to start talking about my personality, is that I'm an Enneagram 7. And Enneagram 7 is the personality that... Uh, really doesn't want to be unhappy or experience pain, particularly pain, pain, any type of physical or emotional pain. That's our our core fear is that we don't want to experience that pain. And so that kind of drives everything that we do in life, right? And so um, sevens are typically, uh, well, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of what an unhealthy seven looks like, uh, the sins of seven are, are, are gluttony. And so... Uh, or excuse me, I should say the sin of seven is gluttony. And um, if the, some would say also sloth. So, But gluttony is the primary sin of the Enneagram 7. And basically, we're the type that just wants to take in as much of the world as possible, experience the world as fully as possible. Uh, we want to have every experience there is. We want to enjoy everything that we do. It has to be fun. And uh, we will, and when, when pain comes or when emotional pain is on the horizon, our default is to run into whatever makes us feel good that will help us avoid dealing with the pain. And that very much describes um, a lot of my personality. More recently, though, after really going through some shit, um, I begin to notice a lot of other things about my personality that when I when I first started the Enneagram sort of path, I don't know that I was actually self-aware enough. Now, let me say this to you. It's so funny. I have always thought of myself as a self-aware person. But I have learned, and it's just age. It's, you know, you grow, old, you grow older, and it's so funny, you know, uh, all the things, because I started life so young. I had got married young, had children young, pastored a church young. And y'all, I really did think that I had it figured out more than most people my age. And perhaps I did uh, some things, but it is true. There are just some things you do not get until you're older and you've been through some shit and your brain grows 
and your heart grows and your spirit matures, there's just some things you just, they're like elephants in the room, but you didn't even know they were there. And that's kind of been uh, an experience I've had the past uh, couple of years. And so um, one of the things, though, uh, that I noticed about my personality was that my core fear is really not pain, um, but a certain kind of pain. And and that's th- th- this particular fear because of, you know, my vocation and, and my social location as well, uh, this, this fear had a real effect on everything in my life and made a lot of things painful because of, because of what I was doing and, um, and being in ministry and being raised, um, in a faith tradition that I slowly, um, began to see unravel in my own life. And, you know, it's, uh, I just didn't have the self-awareness to see this at the time. But my core fear is the fear of, of abandonment. Uh, particularly abandonment that might come if people were to find out who I truly am. It is imposter syndrome on steroids, okay? Because everyone has imposter syndrome. Um, but this phobia, this fear, being something that's rooted very heavily in my childhood and in my early formation as a, as a human being, uh, had a profound effect on, on my life in so many aspects of my life. And so more than just being the uh, imposter syndrome that we all might experience at one time or another in our lives, and not to uh, say that those things, that, that those times don't hurt and that they aren't painful and that they aren't a very real kind of roadblock sometimes to experience joy and the fullness of life. But for me, this was experienced in a very deep personality level, personal personal and personality level, to such a degree that um, that the emotional response to that pain point was, I, I guess, you know, is like shame and guilt, okay? And again, that may be because of, of the way in which um, it shaped me. Um, one, I probably need to say a little bit about my religious beliefs or the religious beliefs of my childhood before I go any further because many of my listeners are, were raised in the same faith tradition I was, which is a, a Pentecostal faith tradition, a denomination, the Church of God. I don't really emphasize that because... I've been fortunate enough in my life to, um, as I got older, to explore all types of faiths and traditions, and especially within Christianity itself. Um, but but before that, before I went, you know, 
before I left home and became a minister, before I started hanging out in the ministerial community of of my my first church, the town my first church was in, before I went to Bible college, you know, I was raised in a in a in this denomination, and so it's important that that's uh, that that's said because this denomination is a Pentecostal denomination which has its own particular set of beliefs. One might say peculiar set of beliefs. And then there's this denomination, which is even more peculiar among that peculiarity. Uh, so a couple of things about the the, uh, uh, the 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 faith I was handed as a child that are important um, to my understanding of my own personality. Uh, the first is uh, their belief in in backsliding. Um, this is a whole can of worms. I don't even believe in backsliding, but for the sake of explaining this, let's talk about that. Um, and I don't even believe in like the whole paradigm of living in sin and then getting saved and then living right for the purposes of going to heaven. is something I don't, I, I dismissed years ago. And, uh, I hate the conversation. I feel like it's one we have to have sometimes because so many Christians still believe that that's what Christianity is. But for me, it's just so foreign. It's I, it just it doesn't fit into much at all. I mean, I see the effect it's had, and I see the importance of talking about that 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 particular um, kind of more evangelical part of of Christianity today. But I really don't feel any reason to explain myself, especially not in this podcast or, 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 or you know, like debate that whole thing because it just seems like such a foreign concept to the whole of Christianity and, and the role that it does play, if any, in the, uh, in the development of Christianity in the Western world. Um, gosh, you know, I think that's probably the only thing that is important about it. So, so I just haven't believed that in a long time. But for the sake of explaining this part of my life and my personality, backsliding is the belief that a person is in, who gets saved. In other words, they, they pray the prayer, they believe in Jesus, um, and they, they move away from this life of being a sinner into this now they're saved um as long as in my in my tr- tradition as long as they lived right as long as they you know follow if you Jesus, the bible says Jesus says if you love me you'll follow my commandments or you'll keep my commandments be holy as i am holy that was another verse that was used very heavily in my tradition so um backsliding is this idea in the church of god that if you get saved you have to then live right and sanctification is the process that the spirit will take you on that will help you live right and um if you don't live right all it takes is one sin one mess up 
and you're on your way back to hell again, okay? So the idea there is, you know, that you, you, God loves you. He forgives all your sins. But once he forgives your sins, you have to live right. And if you mess up once, you're on your way to hell. And the only way to fix that is to pray the prayer again, to ask for forgiveness. So, you know, it's like uh, the way this worked out um, <laughs> practically in my life is, you know, I'd be a kid and because I got saved early in life, like early, early in life. Uh, again, I prayed the prayer early in life. Take that for what, what you will. And, uh, you know, I would go to school and I'd, I've always had a filthy mouth, y'all. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I do have a filthy mouth. Um, I love to cuss. Uh, it just, it's just, it's the language I speak, you know? It's, it's my second language. And that it's always been that way, you know? And so when I was a kid, I would cuss. I got in trouble so much for cussing. Like my mom, they would threaten to call my mom, but they never did, thank God. But I got in trouble, like, in every grade of school for cussing at least once. Even in high school. I got sent to in-school suspension for cussing at a teacher in high school one time. I always cussed. So, practically, when I was in school, I would, you know, be at school and be tough and hanging out, and I would cuss. And then I'd go, oh, shit. Well, oh, crap. <laughs> I would I would go, oh, crap, in my head because that meant that if... I died, or if Jesus came back, if I died, I was going to hell, and if Jesus came back, I wouldn't be taken in the rapture, okay? So, you know, as a child, that's what I thought, so I would cuss, and I would then say the prayer, and that kind of became a compulsive behavior, you know, uh, in anything I did as a child, because, you know, I was super scared of going to hell, because hell is separation from God. I knew my grandfather, at least, and my great-grandmother were in heaven. And I knew that the rest of my family that meant anything to me were going to heaven. And I didn't want to not go to heaven. You know, it's kind of like, will the circle be unbroken? I wanted to make sure that I went to heaven. And so... um. So that was a super big fear in my life was that I would do something wrong, you know, that I would sin and that I wouldn't remember it or that I wouldn't remember to pray about it and ask forgiveness for it. And so then I would end up going to hell or not making the rapture, which leads me to the second belief that's important to this conversation. And that's the, uh, the belief in the rapture. Okay, so in my church, we were taught that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to physically appear in the sky riding on the clouds and there's going to be some angels with him and they're going to blow trumpets. And when they blow these trumpets, this, this trumpet blast, we're all going to be, we all the, all the Christians, uh, 
except for the fake Christians, which are everyone who wasn't Pentecostal to some degree, because, you know, if you really are a Christian at some point, you're going to want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so God would, Jesus would appear and he would take all the Christians and they would they would leave the earth. They would fly up to him in the air and then they would be taken to heaven. <clears throat> and they would stay in heaven for at least seven years while down on earth, the great tribulation would take place. And during the great tribulation, you know, there would be all these wars and basically the, the, the shit hits the fan, okay, in the tribulation. The shit just hits the fan. It's over. It's done. So that was pretty scary uh, as a child to learn about. <laughs> and, you know, we were taught very specifically some of the things that would happen in the tribulation. You know, we were taught that <clears throat> people's heads would be cut off. That was a big thing. I don't know why, but like heads being cut off was huge to the teachings about the tribulation. So if you got left behind... You got to deal with all the shit hitting the fan. And then if you choose to believe in Jesus after you get left behind, you got a hard road ahead of you because if they find out, they're going to cut your head off. And if they don't cut your head off, you have to take the mark of the beast if you want to eat or get water or have health care. So, you know, the, 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 these were, this was not a period of time you wanted to be alive, right? So... Uh, that was a that left a big imprint on my life, and it, you know, in the late eighties, I would have been nine or ten years old. Throughout the entire eighties, there was a big in the church. There was a lot of talk about the end of the world, you know. And looking back, I mean, we've experienced a very similar thing, I think. And I haven't been in the Church of God, so I don't know what is being taught in those churches now. But my guess is, based on some of the things that are happening now, feel a whole lot like what was happening in the 80s, you know, with uh, with Russia and um, with the Middle East, even in the past, you know, since 2001, the Middle East really becoming a, a hot point again, a hot hotbed of like all kinds of things that people find, think are in the scriptures about the end of the world and you know, the 80s were, in the church, were one of those time periods, like today, where a lot of those things were going on, and we we talked about the end of the world happening a lot. We talked about the rapture a lot. It was so funny, because preachers were coming, they would get up and rant about how we don't preach sermons on hell or heaven, and we don't preach sermons on the rapture anymore. And I'm like, what churches are y'all going to? Because my church, we talked about that shit all the time. All the time. So, the belief in backsliding and the belief in, a ra in the rapture um, either magnified or created within me this incredible fear of being left alone because I wasn't good enough. Because I just never felt like I would be good enough. The There were lots of rules. I was not very good at following the rules. Well, let me say this. I was very good at following the rules, but I knew that I was not perfect in following the rules. 
And that made me feel like I wasn't very good at following the rules. And so it it created within me as a child. Um, and also this was, let me say this too. I think parents back then and teachers and like church leaders used shame and guilt as a way to manipulate behavior. Okay? Kind of like the way we might use Santa Claus in a secular sense. Santa's watching you, so you better behave. Growing up in the church, it was Jesus is watching you, so you better behave. And it wasn't so that you would get Christmas presents. It was so that you wouldn't burn in hell forever or get left behind in the rapture. So in the 80s, there was a lot of emphasis on this. And uh, my father, my dad, he taught Revelation. That was his, his niche. So he knew a lot about the end of the world and it was talked about a lot in my house. And I don't, I'm not really upset about it. It just is what it is. I get it. My dad was really into it and the church really believed it at that time. I'm just sharing with you how it affected me. And so this deep sense of fear of abandonment, this deep sense that I'm not good enough is a very core part of my personality. And that caused me to sort of re-explore my Enneagram number. And for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> I just want you to know, I, I, I see my personality probably as being more of a two than of a seven. Seven is definitely a big part of who I am. There's a lot of seven in me, but I think that my core Enneagram is probably Enneagram 2. And the Enneagram 2 are are the personality types that like to people please. They like to serve others. They get a lot of meaning from that. Um and they really they really derive their sense of um of personhood and of um and of being loved and of being accepted and of being wanted by how by what they're able to do for other people okay and and how people respond to that so when people don't reciprocate to us we often um can be very we we feel that and and we may express that because reciprocity is important to us because we are finding we are finding validation to some to some degree or another whether we like to admit it or not we are finding validation in our serving we are finding validation in our people pleasing that's important for you to know about my experience of of coming out to my family and to the people close to me and ultimately to the church and to my former church members about the change in a lot of a lot of my beliefs okay so i'm going to stop there for now on this episode i feel like this is a mouthful and again this is my experience hopefully some of what i've said resonates with you i would love to hear from you uh especially those of you who are raised with these kind of teachings for those of you who don't follow uh, or who aren't part of the group, 
there are two places on Facebook where you can go and and become part of the larger conversation that is happening with the Uncensored Wizard. The first place you can go is the Facebook page, which is the Uncensored Wizard podcast page. You can find it on Facebook. Just search Uncensored Wizard podcast page. Like and follow that page. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can join the Uncensored Wizard Facebook group. It is a private group, but I have it open for anyone to join. Um, I understand that this will probably cause some anxiety down the road for many because as the viewership grows, some people who weren't in the group may join the group. So I hope we can not miss out on the conversation because of that anxiety and rather lean into some of that a little bit because you might be surprised as we're learning on the pod, on the podcast group page, <clears throat> you might be surprised where other people are at on their journeys and what is actually happening. Having said that, please read the rules if you join that group. Please understand the culture of that group before you post your comment. Spend some time in there. A lot of really great conversation is happening. So if you want to join the Uncensored Wizard podcast group, you can message me and I will send you that link out. I think you can still find the group. You just can't see who is in it on Facebook. Just search for Uncensored Wizard group or Uncensored Wizard podcast group even. We'll bring it up and join the group. There's a lot of really great conversation going on in there. In the next episode, I'm going to go a little bit further and talk about my experience and how I did it and what it felt like. And I'm still sort of in the middle of this process, but I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit more in the water than, than many of my listeners. Some of you are on the other side of the river. You've come out maybe even more than just about beliefs, but about things that are very significant in your life that were affected by the belief system you were raised in, whether that be your sexuality or, um, or, or your vocation changing, which is a big part of my story, or things like that, and you're already on the other side of it, join the conversation on the Facebook group. Many of you already have, but please don't be afraid to share your experiences. We are going through this together, and... Um, and we need one another in this time. I think that is becoming very apparent in the interactions on the Uncensored Wizard group page. But for now, that's what I'm going to be sharing. I look forward to the next episode where we talk about my experiences a little bit more. <laughs>